When Albert Einstein was in first grade, he came home one day with a note from his teacher. He wasn't able to read at this point, so he asked his mom to read this letter for him. So his mom begins to open this letter. As she begins to read, her eyes swell up with tears. Ms. Einstein, Albert is a genius. His capacity to learn has far outgrown his peers. He is so intelligent that we do not think we can continue to educate him here because we don't, do not know how to help him excel anymore. We'd encourage you to find other ways to educate him. Albert is going to do great things. So that next day, Albert Einstein's mom goes out, buys a bunch of books, and begins to homeschool her son, who would soon be labeled as a picture of intelligence. And Albert Einstein was labeled a genius. In fact, the reason we know what we do know now about time and space is because of him. And we use his name now to label other people when we see that they are bright. Oh, that person is an Einstein. And we love these labels. Like we love to take things and label people a genius, manly, feminine. We like to live into these labels ourselves. And oftentimes we're changed by them. So in the 1930s, Clark Gable was the epitome of manliness. And he starred in a movie called It Happened One Night. And there was a scene in this movie that he starts to unbutton his shirt. And as he unbuttoned his shirt, he wasn't wearing an undershirt underneath, which was scandalous at the time because undershirts were all the rave. But this scene was credited with a 40% decrease in the profit of the underwear business because people saw Clark Gable as a label of manliness and they wanted to be a man, so they thought, why do I need to wear an undershirt? And therefore, we're transformed by this label. Whether we're told we're a genius and we live into that, or we want a label of masculine or feminine, so we change what we wear because of these labels, we are changed by these things that label us. And in our story tonight, in The Good Samaritan, we see as these characters are labeling each other and labeling themselves as well. But in typical Jesus fashion, he comes in and mixes this whole thing up, turns it on its head, and in this passage, he creates space for these characters and ultimately creates space for us to be more than our labels. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you communicate freedom tonight. 
um, that your scripture continues to come to life. Um, thank you for offering it to us. Teach us. Pray this in your name. Amen. So those of you that have been with us this semester know that we are going through a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke where we've been looking to see where Jesus is creating space. And it's been pretty wild for me because I didn't realize until I started looking that he is creating space everywhere. That he really is wanting more for all of us. That he takes our limits and makes them limitless. So in this passage, he is wanting more for us, and so we're going to zoom in and look at where he is creating space for us to be more than our labels. And similar to our culture's love of labels, this passage gives us a really good insight into the labels and the stereotypes that the people in Jesus' time were offering to each other and offering to the outsider. So the whole story, like we read, um, starts with a lawyer asking Jesus a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's this whole back and forth. Jesus responds, the lawyer justifies, Jesus asks a question, and they end up with Jesus telling a story, a parable. And the first character that Jesus introduces is this man who has been mugged and robbed and left half dead on the side of a very dangerous road. And this road is actually a real place, so the people listening would have really been able to visualize it. It was known for its bloodbath. Um, there was caves on either side of the road, so it was really easy for robbers to hide out there and come across unsuspecting victims. Even until the 1930s, there would be robbers hiding out there to carjack people. So this road was dangerous. And there's a man lying on the side of the road, half dead. And then Jesus introduces a new character, a priest. And the priest walks by, looks over at the man on the side of the road, crosses the streets, and continues on his way. The priest labels this man as unclean. Because it was the law at the time that if anyone were to touch a dead corpse, they themselves would then be declared unclean for the next seven days and would not be allowed to participate in regular religious activity. So as opposed to actually going and looking to see if this guy was dead or not, he simply labels him unclean and continues on his way. And then a Levite shows up. And the Levite, we can just say, is kind of like an assistant priest. And many translations actually translate it where this Levite comes and he looks and he sees this man. So he knows he's not dead. But then crosses the street anyways and continues on his way. So we don't know specifically what this Levite has labeled this man as, but we can gather as humans. Well, he shouldn't have been traveling by himself. Traveling at night, he kind of got what he deserved. Maybe it was a label he put on him. Or maybe he labeled him as dangerous. 
He thought this guy could be a decoy for other robbers, and so he's dangerous. I'm going to cross the street so that I'm safe. And we don't know what this label was specifically, but we do know that he labeled him as less than, not worthy of his help. And then to kind of give a little more context to this story, Jesus, as he is telling this parable, is most likely in the region of Galilee. We can read that in the rest of the chapter. And so this is the northern region of the country And the people in the north don't really love the people in the south, and vice versa. You can read about all of that drama in the Old Testament. But the priest and the Levite would have been from the south as they worked in the temple. So as these people, these Galileans, are listening to Jesus tell the story, and the priest walked by, they've labeled this false character as like, well, of course that priest has walked by. Same with the Levites, not surprised. They've placed labels on them. So then all these Galileans are listening to Jesus tell this story, and it is similar to some of our like folklore and our fairy tales, where when there's stories of three, it's always the third one that's the hero. So think Goldilocks and the three bears, the three little pigs. The priest walks by, passes. The Levite walks by, of course. And then they're waiting for Jesus to say, and then a good old Galilean fisherman comes up to save the day. But Jesus throws them for a loop. says, and then a Samaritan walks down the road. And that was the one thing that all Jews could agree on, that they hated Samaritans. There's over 450 years of hatred between the Jews and Samaritans. The Jews saw them as half-breeds, as good for nothing. And ironically, they would say that if you ever were in a ditch, it'd be better for you to stay in the ditch than to let a Samaritan help you. Ironic in this story. So these people listening are shocked because they have labeled this man as good for nothing, yet he shows up. And he steps into this space that Jesus has created for him to be more than what they labeled him as. Because the whole rest of the story is a super detailed description of how thoroughly he cared for this man. In fact, word count-wise, it's over half of this story, which is a big deal because Luke does not usually give this many details. The Samaritan goes to this man. He takes him out of the ditch. He pours wine and oil on him. He uses his clothes to bind up his wounds. He puts it on his animal, takes him to an inn, pays for him to stay and get well for two months' worth of time, says he will return. The Samaritan that was labeled as good for nothing now is labeled as good And after Jesus tells this story, he asks the lawyer, who was the neighbor? And the lawyer can't even cough up the words, Samaritan. But instead, he says, the one who showed mercy. 
the Samaritan, the half-breed, the good-for-nothing, is now given a label of the one who showed mercy. That is what that more looks like. And we still today use this label for people, and it's a beautiful one that we desire, that if you call someone a good Samaritan, that means that they are kind, that means that they take care of those in need. And we uplift this label. Psychologists have found that there are 13 assumptions that we make of each other within moments of meeting people. We place labels and judgments on them simply by our first impression. Someone's intellect, if they're trustworthy, their status, their sexual orientation, if they're outgoing, if they're adventurous, if they're a good leader, if they're promotable. There's a whole number of things within literally meeting people within a few seconds that we label each other as. And then on the flip side, when somebody labels us, we live into that. I mean, 40% of men stopped buying undershirts to live into a label. When somebody tells you you're insecure, your confidence seems so far away. If someone has told you when you were in high school that you are an athlete and that was your label and now that you're in college and you're not playing sports, you're having a hard time being like, who am I? If you were labeled as smart or stupid, that affects the way you study. If you were bullied, that becomes part of how you interact with others as less than they are. Growing up, my brother was the favorite in the family. And I know a lot of people will say that. My mom admitted it to me years later in a very awkward conversation. Um, but our whole downstairs was lined with pictures of him, article clippings of his, his work from school, with not one of me up there. So I grew up believing that I was second best second class. So I never thought I was like terrible, but it just wasn't good enough. I was second. And my heart has always hurt for the Gentiles because I did not understand why they weren't God's chosen people, why the Israelites were. That wasn't fair. And this label that I was given, I lived into and it affected me. I rarely stood up for myself. I settled for things that I knew I should not settle for. I struggled all the time to believe if I ever would be chosen. And these issues and the settling followed me into my mid-20s until I was able to look this label in the face. I lived under it. I did not step into the space that Jesus had created for me to be more than this label. And it's not just labels that other people give to us, but it's labels that we give to ourselves that we get stuck in. 
Oftentimes, the voices in our heads are louder than the voices of other people, especially when it comes to negative things. But Jesus offers us space to be more than the labels that we give to ourselves. Both the priest and the Levites were religious people. They were in charge of preparing and offering sacrifices for opening up the temple, for taking care of God's people as they came to worship. They labeled themselves as righteous, as clean, and as perfect, theoretically perfect. And they also labeled themselves by their schedules, by how busy they were. Because I can imagine as both of them walked past this man on the side of the road, they asked the question, do I have time to help him? And obviously, their schedules, their plans were more important than helping this man. They labeled themselves as busy, too busy to help. And then, of course, Jesus throws the Samaritan into the picture to show us what it looks like for us to live into the space he has created for us to be more than how we've labeled ourselves. Because we know that the Samaritan had a job, like he had days worth of wages, and we knew he was going somewhere. He had plans as well. He tells the innkeeper, when I come back, he's on his way somewhere. But he does not let these labels enslave him he goes and he neighbors. And yes, as he goes to this man in the ditch, he is shattering the plans that he had. He's not going to show up where he needed to show up that maybe somebody was waiting on him. He's not going to show up there on time. Or maybe his travel plans now are looking different. He might have to be traveling at night, which is dangerous. And then, I'm sure he had plans for like the clothes that he was wearing. Probably didn't plan on showing up wherever he was going with blood-stained and torn-up clothes. I'm sure he had plans for the wine and the oil that he poured out on this man. And surely he had plans for what he was going to do with this two denarii that could take care of somebody for two whole months. But he did not let those labels, his busyness, to find him, but he stepped into the space to be more than that. And even as he drops this man off at the innkeeper, I can imagine he's not living into this label of being like, I'm the hero. I'm the one that healed him. I'm the one that fixed him. But he is saying, I've done everything I can, and now I'm giving you to someone else. Moving out of even that label. And I know Many of us, myself included, can identify with the labels that the priest and the Levite put on themselves. That we're busy. We have so much going on, even, even though it's good things. These guys could have been going to the temple to offer sacrifices. But that's who I am. I'm busy. I'm righteous. For me, I've labeled myself as a college pastor, 
as someone who needs to take care of everything that's happening, that as people walk in and out of these doors, that I must be responsible for that. That if I was that Samaritan, I think I would have trouble dropping this man off with the innkeeper because I want to be the one that is the helper. So I don't create boundaries and leave him. Take him with me. And while I've put these labels on myself for years, there was a moment when they all came crumbling and crashing down. Years ago, my mom called me up um, early one morning and said, your dad is being moved into hospice care. Come home so that you can sit with him and spend the last few days of his life alongside of him. So, of course, I book a flight to Seattle, where I'm from, and go out there to sit with him in these last few days. Well, the last few days turn into a few more days, which turn into a week turn into a few weeks. And while I was sitting there in his hospice room, I remember feeling really guilty that I was not in Chattanooga. Because it just so happened that during this time, it was the first few weeks of school. And as all of you guys know, the first few weeks of school are filled with meeting new people, filled with events, filled with a lot of ministry, and filled with a lot of core group. So I'm sitting in this hospice room, wanting and feeling bad for not being in Chattanooga and trying to figure out any way I can to keep working here because that's who I am. That's my label. And I remember talking to Jason and my old boss at the time, trying to figure out ways that I could still help out with core groups. And they both were like, stop. Be with your dad. This label I had given myself of handling all these things, of being this pastor, made me more concerned with the first few weeks of this random school year than I was with the last few days of my dad's life. The labels we give ourselves push us farther and farther into a ditch and make it harder to see that more, that space that our God has created for us. And we can do this also with negative self-talk that we label ourselves as stupid, as not good enough, as ugly. And these things we are saying to ourselves are pushing us farther and farther down, making the space to be more than what we've labeled ourselves seem so far away. But Jesus, in his goodness, continues to invite us to step into the space to be more than these labels. And he does so in such a brilliant way. Because he gives us new labels. Because for us, it's so hard just to sit there and be like, I'm good, I'm great. Because if you don't believe it, your brain is this lie detector that's being like, that's BS. But if Jesus is giving us these new labels, and he gives us these new labels that are tangible, there are things that we can do, and so we begin to participate in them, and they become real because we're interacting with them. We're experiencing them. They're becoming these concrete realities in our heads as we are given these new labels. 
And the whole story, the whole parable is stemmed because the lawyer asks, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus refines this question and ends up taking the word neighbor and making it no longer an object, but an action. That we are to be people who neighbor, giving us a label of a neighbor. We are to be people who neighbor. And he answers the question, who is my neighbor? Well, anyone that comes across your path. Who can neighbor? Anyone. How do you neighbor? Well, the lawyer answers that question by showing mercy. Yet again, another label that Christ gives to us. That we are people who show mercy. And as we begin to step into this space to be more than the labels we've given ourselves, we find ourselves neighboring and showing mercy. We find ourselves being the healer. And as we do these things, we begin to believe that those are real. And just as Jesus relabels us, we have the capacity to relabel other people. Like I said, we are labeling people all the time, even subconsciously. Think about on your way to class. You are walking past so many people and you see someone wearing a house shirt, Greek letters, a sports team. Somebody looks preppy, they look athletic, they look slobby. You are putting all of these labels on them without even knowing simply by the way they are dressed. So what if we changed our mantra, so to speak, and on your way to class, you consciously looked at each person and labeled them as an image bearer of Christ. You labeled them as someone who has unsurpassable worth. And every time you look in the mirror, you say to yourself, I'm an image bearer of Christ. I have unsurpassable worth. I know that sounds a little funny to do. But if you think about it, it works in the negative. If I meet Barrett here for the first time, and I really like her, but somebody tells me she's kind of a gossip, I'm going to have this perception of her that she is a gossip, and I'm going to not trust her as much. I'm going to be more reserved around her, whether or not that is true. So if we can offer negative perspectives on people, we can also do that with the positive. So if we're relabeling people as people with unsurpassable worth, we're going to see them in a different light, and we're going to see ourselves in a different light as well. This can change everything. And then, like the Samaritan, we begin to move towards people, even the people that have labeled us, and we neighbor them. As opposed to living into the labels they gave to us. And we think through these labels. We ask, does this align with what Christ has labeled me as. 
Does it align with me being a neighbor, me showing mercy, me being good, me being a healer? Does it align with me being a child of God, me being a co-heir to the kingdom? Does it align with me inheriting eternal life? We ask ourselves the same questions about the labels we put on us. And if those things are not aligning either, well, we start by the negative self-talk, cutting that out, that is possible. And then we move on to our schedules, our plans. If you find yourself being too busy to neighbor, even doing all your good things, maybe you need to get rid of one of those good things to free up space. Or maybe you actually like, like plans, so you need to reprioritize your plans to put neighboring in there. Possibly every time you walk past a homeless person, you feel this conviction. Or every time you go to a certain class, you see that person sitting by themselves, and you ache for them because you know they are so lonely. So what if you just put neighboring into your schedule? You volunteer at Community Kitchen every Friday so that you can neighbor the homeless. Or maybe you don't schedule lunch after that class so you can invite that person to study with you and go get something to eat. Or maybe you're not seeing anybody along your path to neighbor. Change your path. Go on the fall break mission trip. Watch the news. Go downtown. You will see people to neighbor. But honestly, they're all around you. You just have to open your eyes to them and begin to ask questions. And you have to be like the Samaritan who went to this man. We must go to people so that we may neighbor them. As we do this, as we participate in neighboring and showing mercy and healing, these become realities because we're experiencing them. And we are able to grab a hold of this idea that Christ has labeled us not as the wounded, not as the wounder, not as the walker by, but as the wound healer. And we are able to step into this space to be more than our labels. And as we really look at that and look at this passage, what we realize that we actually aren't the Good Samaritan. We're the innkeeper. Jesus is the best Samaritan. He humbled himself and became a man, dwelt on earth, walked on the same path we were walking on, and he saw us in a ditch, beaten and robbed, and he came to us. And as opposed to pouring out oil and wine on us, he pours his blood on us to heal us. And as opposed to picking us up and putting us on his donkey, he picks us up and puts us on his back. 
And he takes us to the inn where he pays our ransom and pays for everything in full. Where we do not owe a dime. And he entrusts the innkeeper to take care of us and says that I will return. You guys, you are the innkeeper because you are the church. Jesus has labeled you as a church so that you may neighbor, you may show mercy, and you may care for his people along with his spirit until he returns. You are to be people who neighbor the stranger, to be people who neighbor the church, to neighbor the friend. You are to be people who go and neighbor. When Albert Einstein's mom passed away, he began to go through all of her stuff. And what he found as he was going through this stuff was this old, crumpled up piece of paper. And as he opened this note up, he began to remember the tears in his mother's eyes as she read this letter to her first grade son. And Albert read this letter for the first time. Dear Miss Einstein, Albert is a failure. He is incapable of an education. We are not able to educate him because he cannot learn. He will amount to nothing. He is effectively expelled from school. I am so thankful that Albert Einstein's mom made space for him to be more than what he was labeled. And I am so thankful that Jesus has made space for us to be more than what we have been labeled. So go and neighbor, go and show mercy, go and be more. Pray with me. Father God, um, 